Hey listeners, Mealy and Christine here. Though we are licensed medical professionals, nothing we speak about in the well conversation should be taken as health advice. These episodes are based on a review of current research available and well-known frequently applied interventions used by professionals in the field. If you have a pre-existing medical condition, the information shared in this presentation may not be entirely safe or applicable to you. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before applying any changes to your health, especially if you have a pre-existing medical condition or are taking prescription medications. Welcome to another episode of The Well Conversation. I'm your host, Dr. Christine. And I'm Dr. Maley. In this episode, we discuss an important topic on the minds of anyone who imagines a future with kids, fertility. Just like any topic in the health and wellness world, misinformation can spread fast, creating confusion around an already stressful subject for many. Although not often discussed, infertility rates are quite high and have continued to increase since the 1950s. An average of one in every six couples in Canada now struggle to get pregnant and may need assistance. What's contributing to this? Is it the age women are attempting to get pregnant? Could it be lifestyle factors, environment, diet? And what can we do now to improve our fertility? Here to discuss with us today are two experts in the field of fertility, Dr. Courtney Clayson Russell and Dr. Stuart Russell. Dr. Courtney Russell is a naturopathic doctor, a birth doula, a mom, and an entrepreneur. Courtney obtained an undergraduate degree and master's degree in botany before attending the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Dr. Courtney's clinical practice includes fertility, preconception health, pregnancy, and postpartum health. After becoming a mom during her doctorate degree and continuing to be a busy working mother, Courtney truly understands the unique challenges women face today while trying to get pregnant, raising vibrant, healthy children, and or succeeding at their careers. Courtney's husband is also with us today, Dr. Stuart Russell. Dr. Russell graduated with a Bachelor's of Science Honors in Biology from Wilfrid Laurier University before doing his postgraduate studies at the University of Guelph. His PhD thesis was focused on the peewee pathway and its influence on the epigenetics of gamete and embryo development. Stewart is the Director of the Human Embryo and Implantation Research Program at the Create Fertility Center a clinic and research facility striving to improve care for people with infertility and other reproductive challenges. Since joining, he has developed several new therapies and diagnostics to improve patient care, undergoing assisted reproductive therapies. Together, this dynamic duo also created Feconditas, a certification course for practitioners in fertility and reproductive technology, combining Courtney's clinical experience with fertility patients and Stuart's knowledge in ART. When they're not busy advancing standards of care and fertility, Courtney and Stuart serve the increasing demand for their popular well-baked box. Welcome, Drs. Clayson Russell and Dr. Russell. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're very excited for this one. I know I have a lot of friends, especially. We're all reaching this age where, you know, it's common to start planning for a family or thinking about fertility for the future. And I have tons of friends who always ask me, like, what can I do right now to help my fertility? So very happy to have you on. And this one's going to be a very exciting one for all our listeners. So to start off, what encouraged both of you to focus on fertility? I had in school, in second year, I decided to do a preceptorship 
you know, when you kind of shadow an ND. And so the ND I shadowed was in Guelph. Her name was Dr. Elizabeth Sharavati, and she also helped us create Fecanditas. So I shadowed her and I just learned a lot about preconception and fertility and we worked really well together so I started writing mini papers with her and most of them were on preconception health so I got really interested and involved in how to improve your fertility outcomes by improving your health before you want to conceive so it kind of started in second year and then in third year fourth year I just kept narrowing my focus and then it also helped that Stuart also focused on a lot of fertility stuff so we could just talk about things with different perspectives and come together and get new ideas over things. Sounds like it was just a very serendipitous connection there. (laughs) Yeah. So I did my undergrad as you mentioned, in biology. And then I was looking at programs, uh, master's programs and PhD programs. So I found a really good program at the University of Guelph and they had a a big reproductive department there. So I started looking at bovine embryo development. And the cool thing about embryo development is that we start with an egg and a sperm and it makes a single cell that ends up making the trillions of cells in your body and like this whole new organism from something that seems so small and insignificant. So I was really fascinated by how all that happens, especially in the first few days of embryo development, which is so crucial for the whole process. So I was looking at this in cows. And then when I finished my PhD, I started looking at fertility clinics because I would like to be able to do translational research, something that's going to have a, you know, a direct effect for patients. And so I was able to find an opening at the Create Fertility Center and join their team. Since then, it's just been really amazing to work with like a high-powered research team who's really focused on bringing the research to the clinic and, and to the bedside. So it's been an amazing experience there. Amazing. Sounds like you both, I can already tell your passion, both of you. And so I can imagine the dinner table discussions you guys must have. <laughs> and also just thinking about like, I always talk about this with other people as well. Like, oh, what a truly perfect combination of two people who are like very interested in fertility from two very different aspects that can just combine so well. So yeah, awesome listening to your backstory. Okay, so let's get into some of the questions that we had. So maybe we'll start on the increased rates of infertility that we're seeing today, and we can kind of see this decline. And what do you think is the cause behind this? Yeah, that's a good one, because there's no really good way to compare it. It could be that, you know, infertility was always fairly high, but now the infertility treatment is so much less stigmatized and so much more accessible. So you get more people who are kind of presenting with infertility to their family doctors and then to the fertility clinics, which is a good thing because it means that there's more people who are getting the treatment that they need, but it does make it look like the rates are a lot higher. Now, that being said, We also are seeing the effect of lots of toxins in the environment, which are disrupting hormone homeostasis. And so there's a lot of publications that suggest that our very plastic-filled environment and other types of chemicals that can leach in are causing a decrease in fertility. I think also on that, like environmental toxins for sure, diet and lifestyle, like we've moved to this place now where we stress a lot, we don't eat the best, we acid a lot. So I think a lot of these factors can kind of add on to each other as an additive effect. Also, I do think, and we were kind of talking about this, you know, women, they don't just jump into having kids right away. In some cases, they wait a bit longer and they focus on their careers. And then they're trying to have babies later in their thirties, which is a lot different 
than before when we were early 20s. Like that's a 10 year difference. So I think there's a lot of factors at play depending on the couple. Especially combining, you know, waiting a couple of years to conceive and then being in the thickness of your career and also in all that stress, I'm sure plays such a huge factor. And I like that you talked about environmental toxins as well. I was working with an ND a couple of years ago and we were writing this big pamphlet on endocrine disrupting compounds. And I read this book at her recommendation called Death by Rubber Ducky. And it was, honestly, it was terrifying. I was like, went through my entire house and started throwing things out. And like, even looking at my shower curtain liner, it was like a, like one of those plastic ones. And just thinking about like the amount of plastic that I must have inhaled during my showers and like simple things like that. And I started going crazy about it. And definitely that's one of the main things I sort of preach to any sort of friends and family who are looking to kind of optimize their fertility or their reproductive health in general. Just to add to that point of, yes, it's that age, maybe, yeah, if that's 10 years. And then if we look at the women who are choosing to put career over family, and then we look at stress levels, maybe if you are in this corporate kind of setting and you're putting career over kids, and then you also look at your stress levels. And so you've got this really high stress, stereotypical corporate woman. And then we look at, okay, those aren't 10 extra years of how your stress levels were in your twenties. Now this is 10 more years. So it's aging compounded with increased stress, right? And so I think looking at all these factors and then looking at kind of that synergistic effect of all of them where they compound further on each other is probably playing a large role. I know a lot of very high achieving women in corporate world. They're stuck in this mindset of thinking like, oh, I don't really have time to have kids. I really want to focus on my career. And like when the time is right, maybe. But for me, number one career, number two, children and family planning. And, you know, I'd like for there to be an extra option for people who want to do it all. Like all of us here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've had a few patients lately who are going through the infertility journey, and they kind of say a big part of it that plays into it for them is everyone is so used to just getting what they want when they want it. You know, like mm. we have prime shipping <laughs> on Amazon that just delivers next time. Or if you want to do something, you just do it. There's not much in your way. So it's like, oh, I'm gonna have a baby. And it doesn't happen the first, the second month, the third month. It's like this stress and anxiety and fear, like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. But it's because we're not used to waiting for something that we're used to just happening right away. So it's interesting when they've come to these conclusions and I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah. Like my partner, Maylee here, she has this to-do list and everything has to get checked off and it doesn't get checked off in the day. That's stress. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I always think of this like sort of energetic approach to it as well. If you think of a lot of women in their early 20s, they're all on oral contraceptives, they're going actively out of their way to have, obviously, if they want to be sexually active, they have a method of preventing pregnancy, which of course makes sense at that age. But I feel like after, you know, for some women, they start on oral contraceptives when they're like 12 or 13. After maybe 15 or 20 years of sending your body messages like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And then after a month off of all of this, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get pregnant within 15 days now. I think now's my time. So this is going to happen. And I'm like, but you spent all this time, you know, teaching your body to not get pregnant. It might just take a little bit of extra time to teach it how to do the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What about looking at the other side? So in men, are they affected in the same way women are when it comes to fertility rates or other things that may affect women's fertility? 
That's interesting. I think there's a lot of focus on the woman when it comes to fertility and fertility treatment. Men have millions of sperm, so you know it should be fine. It's always going to be that egg problem, but it's not the case. Studies show that it's about 50-50 split for the causes of infertility, but the treatments are way more heavily female-focused. And that's also just kind of a lack of research as well. So there's still a lot of room to find out what causes male infertility. And uh, couples who are experiencing infertility go and they get some diagnostics done and then you find out that some subfertility in the male, maybe their sperm count is low or their motility isn't quite as good. Even still, there could be other factors that are beneath that that are causing the sperm to not even be able to fertilize the egg or to produce embryos. So it's really quite complex and it's not easy for a clinician to see a couple and know right away what the cause is, unless it's something very declarative, like you have no sperm in your ejaculate or none of them are moving. Right. So it's really tough from the male fertility side of things, which is part of the reason we're doing a lot of the research projects that we are. Amazing. Could you give our listeners maybe just a rundown of when we talk about ART or assisted reproductive technology, what this is and what some of the options are? I think people are familiar with IVF, but maybe they don't fully grasp what the process is or IUI or things like that. Yeah, for sure. So there are a bunch of different treatments and it does depend on the couple. Some couples will be kind of fast-tracked to the you know, the most invasive treatment and others will be given a bit of a graduation process as you try different things. So one of the first line therapies will be intrauterine insemination. So you basically take the semen, you purify the sperm, and then you can deposit that directly, like transfuse it right into the uterus. And then that gets the sperm much closer to the egg and you bypass a lot of the steps there that could improve fertility and give you a better chance. But that doesn't work for a lot of patients. So they can end up moving on to things like a full IBS cycle where there's the hormone stimulation and the egg retrieval. They'll go in and they'll suck the eggs out of the ovary. And then everything else happens in vitro from that point. So in a dish, they will do things like fertilize the egg, grow the embryos for five or six days, and then they'll transfer one or sometimes more embryos back into the uterus so that it can implant. And then they'll check two to six weeks later to see how the implantation went. That's very basic. If there's lots of stuff in there, I don't know, Courtney, what other things do you see from your patients when it comes to different procedures that they go through? Those two are most common, but I think even before that, sometimes it's just a timing issue. So if they're referred to a fertility clinic, you know, usually it's 12 months after trying and no success. If they're older, then sometimes it's six months. If they think there is a timing issue, like if blood work and the semen analysis looks fine, they almost just start with timed intercourse and they can use medications to help if there is some sort of imbalance. But for the most part, I usually see either timed intercourse start or that IUI, and then they move to IVF after just because it is the most invasive. There's also procedures like ICSI. So if there's a sperm quality or quantity issue, they'll use, and you can kind of touch on ICSI if you want. Yeah, so ICSI is intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is a big fancy term for using a needle to put the sperm directly into the egg. So you're bypassing the part where the sperm has to swim and bind to the egg and then get through the outer layers and fuse with the egg to make the embryo. So that's pretty routine. If you go to IVF, you're usually going to get ICSI at this point, just because they found that they waste a lot less eggs if they're doing ICSI. 
Right. So it's kind of sequential as in, so we'd start maybe timing, then IUI or intrauterine insemination, and then we go IVF probably with ICSI because it just brings down barriers. So it's kind of like you've got this process that you would go through at a fertility clinic and you'd be assessed, okay, which path do you go down? And then maybe, so if someone tries IUI and this couple it's not working for, then maybe they progress to IVF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually a couple tries though. I've never met anyone who's only ever done one IUI. For right. some reason, it's like three to five, and then they'll move on to IVF. I think at this point, it's pretty important to note that even if everyone's in perfect health and you don't need IVF, your chances of getting pregnant on the first, second, or third try, it's about 30%. So that's why they'll try this IUI multiple times. That's why they say, take six, take 12 months trying to conceive because everything has to line up even when everyone's healthy. So there are some natural barriers in in place there too. It's definitely good insight to have for sure. I know a lot of people are always on these tight schedules, but the three, six, 12 month mark is definitely something good to aim for. Do you have any advice for people who might be struggling to conceive at the present moment or maybe even are considering ART but are hesitant to go forward with it? I think everyone who's trying to conceive, if you have the ability to go to like seek out a healthcare practitioner who can work towards your health goals. So I always talk to my patients about this, you know, just jumping to get pregnant when you have a bunch of underlying issues going on, it can make for unnecessarily bad in quotations, pregnancy symptoms sometimes. Like if you have a GI imbalance and and like GI distress before getting pregnant, sometimes that can be even worse. Recurring headaches, migraines, high, high stress, anxiety, and then getting pregnant can make your stress and anxiety even worse. So, you know, working towards achieving a more optimal, healthy body and mindset before getting pregnant is always super beneficial. So always seeking out like naturopathic doctors or acupuncturists or, you know, psychotherapists or someone you can work on your mental health, physical health, spiritual health, whatever it may be, just to optimize your chances of conceiving when that is your goal or timeline. And then just so you feel really good when you're pregnant. (laughs) I love that advice, just feeling good while you're pregnant. And that definitely makes a lot of sense. Having underlying conditions is what we focus on as naturopathic doctors. And it doesn't really make sense as like the simple way you put it, it doesn't really make sense to try and pile on a pregnancy with like five underlying conditions that are already kind of wreaking havoc on your life. So that makes a lot of sense. On the topic of you know, naturopathic medicine and fertility. How do you guys see a sort of combination or the integration between naturopathic medicine and fertility procedures? Like, for example, I know some NDs do acupuncture procedures before and after fertility procedures. How does it work collaboratively, in your opinion? From the most basic sense, naturopathic doctors worry about and they work on the root causes for your health in general, as Courtney was just talking about. So for me, when I read papers like alcohol consumption in a short burst, like a two-week period, has been shown to change the whole epigenetic profile, so the quality of the sperm, in just a short two-week period with a moderate dose. And it's like, wow, okay, so, you know, and there's tons of papers like this on multiple different nutrients, lack of nutrients and things. So from the first 
point, it's now let's get your lifestyle and improve it a little bit because each thing that you can do will get you a little bit closer to your goal. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, there's tons of research looking at acupuncture protocols that improve outcomes of embryo transfer and can reduce stress for OPU and things like this. So all of those things are key. And I think even the medical doctors who have been in the IVF world for a long time and maybe aren't as familiar with the new research, they still recognize the importance of these things. So most of them don't have a problem integrating that into a patient's treatment plan. And I do think that a lot of naturopathic doctors, they are kind of drawn to fertility. And I think because it makes so much sense, right? And so in general, your body needs to be really healthy in order to carry another life or help create another life. And so if you're not healthy, it's going to make it that much more difficult to get pregnant. And then when you are pregnant, it's going to make it more difficult to carry or make the entire experience a lot less healthy and more risky, right? We want to reduce things like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. And there's a lot that we can do through lifestyle. And so I think it's the integrative approach for fertility is one of those combinations that makes the most sense. And I think there are areas in naturopathic medicine where it really gels well together with conventional and naturopathic. And fertility is definitely one of those. And I think for any couple going through the struggle of infertility, I think having that combination and always another set of eyes to kind of look at things from a different lens, stress reduction, if that's all that you do with your naturopathic doctor is stress reduction, then first of all, it's not going to negatively impact you, right? And I think that's something <laughs> whenever we look at in an intervention, we have to see, okay, what's the cost of this? And are there going to be any negative side effects? So if we're reducing stress through this process, I mean, in supporting even if that's the only role, then it's beneficial. So yeah, I definitely think there's, there's a nice combination there. And maybe with that, would you, maybe this question's more for Courtney. So a lot of our listeners are kind of this high stress, let's say <laughs> 32 female, really stressed, and they're worried about their fertility, but they're also trying to focus on their career, trying to do it all. What are some tips that you'd maybe give to that couple? Is she describing you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it is hard. Like even, you know, we have two businesses, plus I run my practice, plus we have a toddler at home and, you know, just also trying to enjoy life. Like sometimes you feel the stress of things piling up and it's hard to just enjoy that time. So I try to kind of educate patients on taking time for themselves. I know it can be really hard, but disconnecting if social media and the internet is going to be distracting for them and kind of causes anxiety or this need to always like check things, check emails, check Instagram DMs, check Facebook, disassociating from that a little bit, even if it's one day a week or a couple hours a week, just to be a little bit more in tune with your body and mind, going out for walks, being outside in nature you know, not going around the sidewalk and like around your block in a suburb, but actually going for like a forest walk or near the water, somewhere that they enjoy, that they can kind of de-stress and just listen to the sounds of not cars and trucks and planes or whatever else they live around and disconnecting. Cause I think most of us are always connected now, especially after this pandemic, you know, everything was online. It was just all online. And now as we're slowly coming back to being able to see people in person and going out a bit more, we'll see a change I'm sure. But I usually talk about stress management as a huge way to improve outcomes of fertility. That's awesome. And any specific tips on balance from you guys who really seems like, you know, at least from what people might see on social media, it just seems like balance is something that you guys have really gotten down at this point, being busy working parents and also entrepreneurs, your well-baked box that's becoming so popular. So what are your favorite tips for kind of balancing it all? 
Stu likes to like go 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 I'm the one who's like okay no we're just gonna not we're gonna stop it's Sunday we're gonna go for a walk we're gonna go for like a two or three hour walk to like a park so there's lots of we're in Guelph there's lots of parks and water like rivers around us it's hard to just stop in the middle of doing something or in the middle of creating our recipes but sometimes it's just needed or else I will go crazy (laughs) so ways we you know we have a toddler and a puppy so we have to entertain them and get them outside so in that way it's kind of a nice reminder to get outside and just enjoy playing with them. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. From a much more pragmatic standpoint, for me, it's important to just like pick a couple of small goals that might not seem like it's like, oh, if I get that done, it won't really be enough. But if you can at least get those done, then find time for yourself. I think that's a good way to go about if you're anything like us, where there's always going to be another, you know, 10 things on the list to do. Yeah, never ends. So yeah, pick a few things that have to get done and you know, you'll feel good after and then after everything else is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that too. I always start with the doable things and then just checking it off the list feels good. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so we always ask our guests kind of their top three actionable items. And so maybe between the two of you, we'll really see the integrative approach here. <laughs> um, if you could pick uh, like three to five tips for couples who maybe they don't want to have kids right now, but they know they want to have kids. What are some dietary lifestyle, any nutritional, what are some things that they can do now to improve their reproductive health? Like nutrition, eating well, and trying to slowly, I, I never think, you know, you have some patients who are like gung-ho and they just want to go from zero to a hundred. And that's great. I'm kind of like that as well. But, you know, working with someone to slowly implement ways to improve your nutrition, whether it be first, you know, cutting out the refined sugars or the processed foods or including more healthy fats into your diet, more protein, because people like to avoid that. Nutrition is definitely the biggest thing. I personally think when, when working with patients, And another one would be movement. So finding ways to move your body, whether it be walking, running, yoga, weight training, whatever it is, getting back into that. I know, again, like a lot of my patients are like, well, I like the gym and the gyms are all closed. So how do I do that? So finding ways, find something that works for them specifically without having the gyms being open, because I know that's a huge barrier. There are a few supplements that I think most people should be on. Most people are are deficient to some extent in these things, and they generally can benefit. So fish oil, I know there's a specific type. Courtney can fill you in on that. (laughs) Oh, they know, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So taking a fish oil supplement, taking some vitamin D, and then especially for women, a CoQ10 and a folate. And last thing I would say is is make sure if you can to see somebody, because even if it's just once or twice, finding a good naturopathic doctor or someone who's well-versed in the field, just to get your compass range. I mean, if you don't really know what you need to do with your supplement regime or your diet, then even hearing a podcast like this, you're like, okay, fine. But like, how much of my sugar do I need to cut out? Or like, what types of food am I really missing? So I think it's good to see someone at least once and just get a sense for where you should be shooting so that you feel a little bit more motivated and can stay on track. Yeah, and then you avoid Dr. Google because a lot of times (laughs) you get patients that are on so many things and you're like, why are you on this? Or like we talk about therapeutic dosing or the quality of the supplement. So yeah, seeing someone who's well-versed in the direction you're looking for. And I'll also say that naturopathic doctors or anyone who kind of focuses in the fertility realm should know a lot about ART, like the IVF cycles and 
IUI because a lot of my patients, they have no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it. So it's a way to kind of explain to them. And that's why we kind of made the course is because I have his wealth of knowledge and then I'd have like colleagues messaging me being like, oh, why is this patient doing a third round of IUI with this medication? What are the side effects? And so I was kind of like, well, you know, we should know this. And we didn't really get a great understanding of it in our program. So we kind of joined forces and created this course to educate practitioners so that they can educate their patients because their medical doctors and OBs don't have enough time to sit them through and walk them through every single medication side effect or how long they should take it for, why they're using it. So seeing someone is great. I think it's very beneficial. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for those amazing tips. People can start today. And I know a lot of the listeners will definitely take up your advice and maybe come and see you as a naturopathic doctor. And maybe also before we let you guys go, if for some of the practitioners who are listening, if you could give just a general outline of the course, we've referenced it a few times, but if you can kind of explain what your course is for anyone who may be interested in it. Yeah, so when we made this course, we were super excited to bring together Courtney's knowledge, or her naturopathic knowledge, and then my knowledge from the clinic. So what we did was we started with, in the course, we started with the basics of the infertility process and the clinical path. And then we got into diagnosis, causes, and treatments for both male and female. We really took the top 90% of diagnosis and just went through and talked about everything that you need to know about those so that it's covered in detail for practitioners. Then we went through the typical pharmaceutical treatments and how to read patient charts when you get a release of records from a clinic. We go through supportive and adjunctive therapy. So it's really cool. Some of the new research that's come out and in the IDF world, you can actually use therapies that are kind of still under development. So there's a lot of really new things that are being used in the IVF world that we cover there. So that's really neat. That's also included in current research. We kind of go to the edge of our understanding. And then in the last module, we talk about pregnancy and how to best manage pregnancy with your patients. The difference between this course and most courses that we see as naturopaths anyway, is that it's not just a bunch of treatment options that are supported naturopathically. It's a lot of the stuff that I learned from him, you know, like the pharmaceuticals, the steps, the time to course, the IUIs and the IVF process and all the terms that, you know, your patients who are undergoing fertility will most likely be more versed in this lingo than you will be if you haven't started looking at it. So when they come to you and start using abbreviations and you don't know them and you're kind of like, what are they talking about? What's an OPU? What's a FET? It's kind of nice to take this course and understand what those things are. Yeah. For me though, like I was amazed to learn about all the treatments that Courtney did put in. So like, oh, yeah. yeah, there's yeah, a lot in there. From my perspective, you know, I covered the basics. <laughs> And then from her perspective, it was like, well, we have all this stuff, but, you know, having both the naturopathic treatments and the conventional treatments in one spot, I think is what makes this course unique. Yeah, it was nice. Can't wait. (laughs) I'm definitely going to take the course. And our last question is, if listeners would like to reach out to learn more or ask you about some of the other businesses that you're working on, how can they reach you best? I get a lot of questions on Instagram, Facebook, or email, all three, like my website email. I get a few emails about the course, but usually Instagram's like a quick direct messaging way. It's like, seems to be the way people message each other now. It's at Courtney Jade Health. Awesome. And we'll also link the Instagram handle in the podcast notes and also any of the social that we post as well. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of The Well Conversation. Until next time, feel well, learn well.